0: Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble!
1: Oh, welcome to it. Found this song yesterday on the 4th of July. Guy I'd never heard of before, Kamasi Washington. Song is Street Fighter Moss. Jazz composer, producer, but he helped produce uh, Pimple Butterfly, Kendrick Lamar. Anyway, great track. Great track. And tonight we have for you a great show. Because Sean Malone, the director of media for the Foundation for Economic Education, is here on the phone with me. He is the man, ladies and gentlemen, who got me out of my hermit hole, my studio here, invited me up to Atlanta. I had a great time at FECON, Sean. I I really did. How are you doing tonight?
0: Hey, man, I'm doing great.
1: How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Have you heard of this guy named Kamasi Washington?
0: Uh, no, not, not off the top of my head. I, I'm, I'll i have to check that track out. I, just a little bit I'm hearing sounds pretty good.
1: Yeah, apparently they're saying he's bringing life back to jazz. The new album's like Afrofuturism, and a little bit I've heard. It's fantastic. So I think you might there's, like there's it.
0: There's a little bit of that going on right now, which is cool. I think, um, you know, oddly enough, I think that uh, Stephen Colbert's show has helped that a little bit with, uh, with his band. Yeah. Um, what is it, uh? human uh, people. What, what is this band called? Uh, okay. I don't know.
1: I stopped anyway. watching late night after Craig Ferguson dropped off. So I've, I I've, think
0: that's fair. I don't. I don't really watch much of any of that. But I will watch. Uh, I'll watch musical segments when I can, just on
1: YouTube or whatever. Yeah. See the latest thing with the some so called tastemakers throwing out there. But what people should be watching is out of frame. Your web series oh. you have going on. Uh, I would
0: appreciate that, yes.
1: Well, that would be great. And we're talking about the one about, you know, Hollywood and it's just business and this trope uh, against business. But I first want to put out there you just dropped a new episode of Out of Frame today, correct?
0: We did, yeah. Um, yeah, it comes out every, uh, the first Thursday of every month. So this being the, that first Thursday, we had a new episode. Uh, this one, uh, this one's about the Iron Giant, which is a, a kids movie from 1999 directed by Brad Bird um, written by uh, Christopher McCandless who wrote another movie that I actually really like called Secondhand Lions which hardly anybody saw but also kind of got some great character. With themes. Robert Duvall I know that yeah. movie. Yeah. Yep. That's right Michael Caine, Robert Duvall and a a still young Haley Joel Osment uh, back at back that time but uh, but the Iron Giants um, Honestly, like I, I was thinking about doing a um, a dystopia episode of Out of Frame, talking about um, the HBO, the new HBO version of Fahrenheit 451, and probably talking about some of the classic dystopian literature and the "It's Just Business" episode that we did last month. It was just so much work, mm-hmm. um, and so kind of kind of dark comparatively to some of the episodes. I felt like I would uh, I would much rather do a brighter, sort of happier, more inspiring episode, and I think we really, really did that this month. I, I'm really proud of the Iron Giant one, and I, I think it's going to do pretty well. So. well and it's, Plus, it's, Brad Bird just directed The Incredibles too, and that thing is, is killing it at the box office, so hopefully there's it, crossover there.
1: It's a great movie. I remember it fondly from my childhood, and if folks want to check out... Uh, out of frame, I'm sure, what I usually do is just type in out of frame fee, F- F- F-E-E, into the YouTube search, and it pops right up.
0: Yeah, you can you can do that, and you also just go fee.org slash shows, and oh. you'll see, uh, you'll see pretty much everything we've made, uh, right there. Um, although this new episode isn't because YouTube actually flagged my, um, oh. my, uh, Iron Giant episode, i got a copyright <laughs> flag on that, and i gotta I got to dispute it before I can get that, that made public on YouTube. But it's available on Facebook
1: today. So. Awesome, awesome. But let's talk about the one that came out last month, where it's just business. It's not personal. Yeah. It's just business. You lay out two yeah. main points, and the first of which is something uh, near and dear to my heart, because I'm a big fan of Oscar Wilde, and he was known for saying, uh, Art doesn't imitate life, it's more that life imitates art. And he talks about how the Greeks would put statues of, you know, their favorite goddess in the birthing chamber, so people would always mm-hmm. live up. But there's now actual science behind this idea of the narratives we consume, the art we consume really does influence us in our actual lives. Yeah. I mean this
0: is this is something that I keep kinda of coming back to. It's sort of a, a thematic well that I keep coming coming back to you on Out of Frame, um, th- this, th- I, I'm a pretty big fan, of, anybody's heard me on your show before, pretty big fan of neuroscience and of looking at that psychology and those kinds of things, but to sort of start to try to understand what's going on in the brain when people tell each other stories, when they watch films, when they, you know, listen to music and to listen to stories being told to them and all that kind of stuff, and there's a lot uh, that I think would surprise a lot of people is that when you get told a story, if if it is effective, if it is something that you are actually empathizing with, right, the, a lot of the same processes in your brain start firing as if you were participating directly in that story, so there's this concept that i've talked about on the show before called narrative transportation and and the the idea of that is that as you invest yourself in a story you're actually um experiencing some of the same um same emotions same actions in the brain all that kind of stuff that the characters that you're watching or listening to or, or reading are experiencing and that's really powerful and it's one of the reasons why. I mean, there there are a lot of other aspects to this, too, but it's one of the reasons why telling stories is such a much more effective way of communicating ideas and information, and to uh, getting people to understand uh, and maybe even alter their behavior. Sometimes um, there is a um, there's a really great quote, and I and I use it uh, in the in the episode and out of frame episode from Gareth Edwards. Mm. who was uh, um, director of, of uh, Rogue One, the, the Star Wars movie. Yeah. Um, I happened to be at, at South by Southwest uh, conference in, in Austin uh, a couple years ago, or last year, I guess it would have been last year's conference. And he said, um, and I, I actually just rolled the whole clip in there, but he said something I, I really thought was fantastic. She said, um, and I'll just quote it. I believe what's sort of sort of going on is, as a race, we're kind of immortal. We reproduce and sort of have clones of ourselves. But the one thing you can't reproduce is experience. And so human bodies are like the hardware, but stories are like the software that we sort of download into a child. I think that's really a profound way to look at it.
1: Yeah, I believe so. And it's, it's ringing all sorts of bells with me because I've been on this big, you know, Carl Jung, Joseph Campbell kicked, sure. just, just talked with you know Brittany Hunter last week about Joseph Campbell and a point he's making or was making in the 60s in particular was that the older stories, all the same archetypes are, are around all the same sure. experiences are around but the older myths aren't necessarily explaining this ever fast changing modern world with the same power and this is why things like cinema, like film, are, are so influential. And you noticed something, it, it, maybe something that was bothering you for a while. I could maybe read yeah. the subtext there. What is this yeah. common trope that was going on in Hollywood movies?
0: Well, so the, the idea of the episode, we, we just called it It's Just Business, mm-hmm. is, is the, the role or the treatment that you see of business and business people in film and television. And this, you're absolutely right. This is something that I started noticing, I don't know, maybe 15 plus years ago. I mean, when when I really started to be conscious of it was probably when I first read, um, well, actually it was before that. And then I started looking for, for, you know, more information about this. And then I, I read an article by a guy named Larry Ribstein. He used to be, uh, a professor, I think, at the University of Illinois. He's actually He actually died uh, in 2009, I think, but in 2007, he wrote this great essay called Wall Street and Vine, Hollywood's View of Business. Hmm. And uh, that essay had a huge, it's a, it's a paper, it's in a journal, um, and it had a huge impact on the way that I, I thought about it. It helped me really clarify a lot of my thoughts on it and so for about the past 10 years, I've been thinking about doing a video on this. And it's just, it's always been a daunting task to go collect the number of clips and to think through the actual structure of doing something like this. Because for those who haven't seen it, its it basically pulls together dozens, really, um, I think we had maybe 70 clips from different movies, television shows, um, you know, Basically, showing evil businessmen right. in this trope of just the, the the businessman revealed to be the bad guy all along, then of course, you know, does something horrible, murders somebody, shoots somebody, you know, uh, destroys their house, destroys the environment, whatever. I mean, but it's but it's this constant thread that you see throughout cinema, and really, particularly since the seventies and eighties, you know, you didn't see it quite as much. Before that, uh, and I think since then it's really become pretty much ubiquitous. I mean, you, you, you basically any it just watch Law and Order one episode, and you're most likely to find uh, evil Wall Street guy behind the crime.
1: You know, right? And and the ones that I mean, first off, there's one thing going on where like you start off. The video starts off with a clip from The Godfather. It's not personal. It's Mm -hmm. just business. But I wouldn't... When I think of business and, like, all the people that say sponsor this show, sponsor other shows here on a radio station, they're not the mafia. They're not organized crime. (laughs) No, no. And so many of the examples are, is this conflation of, oh, it's just business with somebody who is either in very violent behavior or working with the government, but I repeat myself.
0: Right. Well, and, and that's, that's one of the things that I really want people to look at. I mean, if, if you watch the the episode, what I, what I kind of hope people get out of it to some extent is, is to take a minute and really stop to think about not only the way that this... Um, it's just saturation of evil businessmen affects the way that people think. But I also want them to like, just look around you for a minute, right? Like everything in life just about that we own or have or value or anything else is, you know, either something you make yourself, which is actually pretty rare and increasingly rare, or it's something brought to you by probably hundreds of different business people doing, Thousands and thousands of different shits, right? I mean, like, if you just step outside and you see, you know, a car that was made by other people's hands and the fuel that was brought to you by people seeking profit, right? right? The house that you live in was built by people. Everything in the house was built by other people. And if you think that every one of those people or even a sizable majority of those people are psychopathic killers like what kind of world are you living
1: in right and how does this because it is the video made me realize oh my goodness how many examples are there where if you see a guy walk out and he's in a nice suit he's bad and that should not be my first thought but that's how what i grew up with
0: it really shouldn't be. Um, you know, I've been collecting examples of this from from TV and, and movies for a really long time. We have a we have a spreadsheet and a list of, of about sixty plus different cases. Um, but honestly, the list is nearly endless. Like almost, uh, gosh, just to I think in in uh, the recent series, uh, the season two of Luke Cage. In fact, there's a scene where somebody basically says it's just it wasn't personal. It's just business. Um, you know, I mean, it's, and, and the reason why I sort of focused on that, uh, that phrase, or, you know, basically that phrase, variant that phrase, is because that's what really signals for me the way that writers think about business, right? Like, when you, when you look at business and business people in Hollywood, first of all, they're almost entirely ignored, right? Like, for, for the majority of, of cases, you know, uh, people go to work, but their work place makes no sense uh, i'm sort of torturing myself with this right now but i've been re-watching while well, watching finishing watching the second season of supergirl because it's on <laughs> netflix now that is torture <laughs> it is I, I don't know why i'm doing it honestly it's just it's it just basically something to have on in the background while i'm working on other stuff sure. but th- there's a, there's a sequence there where she's working for the ceo of a magazine right and, uh, and the CEO's Cat Grant the classic Superman character. She's a socialite, social reporter for the Daily Planet who goes off and, uh, you know, builds her own magazine or whatever. But but Supergirl, Kara, is working for her as an assistant. And for the entire first season, she's sort of bumbling and they're kind of just replaying the whole Clark Kent thing. But then the second season, it's... It, Kat Grant is played by Calista Flockhart. I don't know if she just wanted to leave the show or whatever, but she takes a leave of absence. But before she goes, she, she tells Kara that she can have literally any job she wants in the company. And then Kara decides she wants to be a reporter. Can you imagine work life being any stranger than that? Like, baby, your CEO of your company, you for, for whom you are the, the assistant, just one day just says, hey, I don't care about your skills or your experience or your education. Just just pick whatever job you feel like and then be it. I, it's cool, we'll pay for it. Like the way that business and business life is portrayed on TV is so absurd to me most of the time that it's hard to even imagine. But then I think back to my experiences, you know, working in Hollywood and I think, well oh, gosh, actually a lot of these people who are who become writers and whatnot. Have literally never worked mm. in a, a regular office environment in their entire life. Like, I, I, I start, I started to wonder, and this started happening maybe, like I said, maybe fifteen years ago. But I started to wonder if just the, the difference in experience between different, like between writers and you know bricklayers, was going into the way that that business is portrayed. You know, I, I just think there's a mystery for a lot of Hollywood people.
1: Well, and maybe it's because I have work jobs. but And the only time I ever say my boss was bad, like the man was bad, wasn't ever in a nefarious way. Like a donut shop oh, yeah. I ran. It was like, oh, he's incompetent, and he doesn't know what he's doing when he tells us we need 200 pounds of donuts by the morning. And we're like, okay, <laughs> we'll take care of it. Now leave us alone. Um, but yeah. it's it, never an evil thing. It's like, oh, we're stuffing, like, you know, Something into the glaze, like the, never. It's uh, the only bad stuff I've had with business is incompetence. But that's the great thing about the market. There's an accountability. It's like, okay, your business is not doing things correctly. You're messing up. We'll take it elsewhere. Right,
0: and and the thing is, I don't want to downplay the fact that there are there are business people and businesses that that you know defraud large numbers of people, or or you know pollute other people's land and do all that kind of stuff. That that stuff definitely happens, but it is, it is rare compared to the just astronomical number of businesses, business people out there doing things every day, just trying their best to make other people's lives better. And so to vilify those people, as, as you see in, in film and television, just feels really wrong to me on, on a pretty fundamental level.
1: Well, and, and some examples, like, and some of these movies I love, but, like, I love American Psycho. Uh, sure. But it's it's more than just, oh, we're critiquing, because I I want to get the comments and reactions to this video. And, again, folks, you can find it on YouTube right now. Hollywood's favorite trope, it's just business. Just type that in. The search bar should come right up. And especially American Psycho, though, you can tell this is like a, it is a worldview that is trying to get across of like the materialist, you know, yep. dog eat dog world to the point that he's a murderer and he can't contain it anymore. It, it's yeah. so absurd that it makes me think. Okay, maybe they're just using the context of our times to explain things that have always existed. I think predators have always existed.
0: Well, yeah, and, and look, I I think that that's fair, and this has been. So there are a number of different theories as to why. Uh, screenwriters and and people in media tend to vilify business as much as they do. I I actually tend to subscribe to a large extent to what Larry Ribstein ended up concluding in in the article that I mentioned earlier but I mean look, one plausible theory is certainly that you need a villain and you know villains are best if they have lots of power and wealth is, is power or it's a form of power for a lot of people so you know, of course, you're going to pick a, a wealthy, scary business guy um, as your villain because why not, right? Like, that's that's just a, a perfectly good way to pitch your, your protagonist against some much more powerful adversary. And I, I think there's some merit to that, you know, and, and I certainly think that if, you know, you mentioned earlier, like, the Greek myths aren't really doing it anymore, and that's because they don't resonate, you know, the, the characters, the situations, everything else nobody is, is traveling by sailboat with their crew of a dozen mercenaries, you know, a, across the, the the Caribbean Sea. It's right. Like, none of that is happening, right? So, um, I, I just, I think that, um, yeah, there's there's definitely some valid, valid explanation there, but I actually think that it comes down to a little bit more of a petty reasoning, and this is sort of what... Mm what, um, this sort of what Ripstein's article concludes is, is that a lot of this seems to come from the artist versus the, the money and, and the, the artistic personality, the writer, the producer, the actor being beholden to financiers for, you know, the execution of their work, right? Right. and and i actually find this to be fairly plausible but then also i think there's there's just been this huge wave of anti-capitalism anti-business kind of sentiment that's that's come down from you know colleges universities and from the entire sort of entertainment culture for the last 30 40 years you know and so those things together i think really are a more powerful explanation than merely saying, "Well, they're just looking
1: for a villain." Right, and that makes sense to me. And I like though that you're you're focusing on the trope itself. It's just business. I think when that word becomes associated with, oh, it, it's just I have power over you and impunity. And right. it's the word itself doesn't need to be uh, polluted. Uh, the word itself yeah. should mean something inspiring, something that runs the world. Essentially,
0: well, and that's and that's the thing that kind of worries me about it to a large extent is is you look at how much and particularly, by the way, how much this stuff is you can find in in kids movies. Um, it's it's insanely prevalent in in kids movies that the bad guy is a, a, a villain, is a businessman, is a corporate guy, or is you know somebody running a company, and of course that company is destroying the environment or wrecking somebody's home or, you know, like, or both at the same time, right? I mean, you can think of all these right. sort of animal, uh, anthropomorphized animal-based movies, like Over the Hedge or whatever, where where the, the bad guy is some evil businessman who wants to knock down the forest and all the animals have to stand up to him or whatever. You know, Fern Gully, which, or which is classic. <laughs> Fern <Avatar>. Gully's, what <laughs> <it>. <laughs> you know, but but right, right. Fern Gully or Avatar, which is just Fern Gully for adults. Right. You know, um, you know, and or for well, never mind. I was going to say something insulting about the level of intelligence you have to really enjoy Avatar, but um, you might need to be but, a little drugged out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. But well, but see, this this is a great Avatar is weirdly a great example, right? But not that anybody talks about it anymore. But but all of the the actions of the business with Avatar made zero sense. You know, they they spent what in the in the movie would have had to have been trillions upon trillions of dollars, bringing a, a massive mining crew, an army, all of this stuff. You know. Millions, maybe, of light years through space. Um, they brought all this stuff because this planet had had, you know, a singularly rich source of a uh, of a mineral that they literally called unobtainium. <laughs> like that, that's a placeholder word in scripts for people who don't do screenwriting. Stuff like unobtainium is the thing that you write. And you can't think of anything better to write, and then you replace it later. Like that. The idea is that you go, okay, it's just. The, the MacGuffin, the unobtainium that they need, and then you move on, you keep writing, and then eventually you come back to it, right? Well, Avatar never came back to it, so <laughs> good good on you, uh, James Cameron. But anyway, um, the, <laughs> the business, though, it's, it's totally unclear why they need to knock down this one tree. It's totally unclear why they need to fight the natives. It's an entire planet. It's totally unclear why they couldn't uh, find a way to, um, you know, negotiate with them, trade with them. All that kind of stuff is just taken for granted that the only way that this business could get what they want was by murdering, you know, really committing a genocide. Um, it, and it makes it made no sense, but also it makes even less sense when you start thinking about stuff like, well, if this, this object was there to provide them energy, how did they have enough energy to go all that way through space with all that equipment and everything else? It, it, it's not a society that seems to be short of, of an energy supply. <laughs> and yet, that's why we're here in the first place. But you, you start digging apart a lot of this stuff, and it all constantly evolves. Apart. No, it just, you know? it just the only the only times it kind of doesn't is when you're 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 calling things business that really aren't. Like, things like, you know, uh, mafias. You know? Like, the mafia stuff makes sense, and those movies tend to be really good. Like, The Godfather you know, is good. And in a sense, it's a business, but obviously we all recognize that it's a, it's an illegal business that is, you know, harming people. Right? And, and that is not normal. Like, we all recognize that being part of the mob is not your mom-and-pop donut shop down the
1: street. No, it's not a private property, peace-loving, here, we're going to trade with you folks. It's, uh, we're right. going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Which is, exactly again, similar. And it's funny, like, even if you go to, I think, fairly two-dimensional characters in something like Atlas Shrugged, um, like Ayn mm-hmm. Rand's novels, the bad guys are businessmen with connections. The ones that use the right. government to do things. So, it's not like we can't sit here and find examples or in real life Harvey Weinstein there examples of bad people. I just want to make right. clear to the audience that using business as synonymous with mob activity or government yeah. privilege seeking or just you know wiping out a planet and it, it, that is I think doing a disservice to a very important idea and our that runs our society in a good way that yeah, helps th- everybody. Um, that's and that's
0: how I feel about it. And I I think that the thing that bothers me is that there, there is a, a pretty powerful effect on the way that people think when you you start exposing them to these ideas. And one of the aspects of that is is purely uh, we're all like when you think about cultural ideas. Going back to what Gareth Edwards said, when we think about cultural ideas, the way that we transmit them to other people, particularly to the next generation, is through story. I mean, that is why we have the Greek the Greek stories that you mentioned, right? Yes. Like. Those stories were told so that Greeks could transmit information about their values, about their belief structure, about their their religious religious symbolism in their society. All of those things they were transmitting through stories. And that's been true of humanity as far as I can tell going back to the, the first uses of language. Right? Or even maybe before that, if you think about, like, Lascaux and cave paintings. Right. Those cave paintings are stories, you know? They're stories of hunts, and they're stories of, of, you know, people going out into the wild and conquering nature in some small way. I mean, what feels like it's a small way now, but probably a huge way then, right? Going out with a, a spear and bringing back a, a buffalo or some kind of a, you know, wild animal that you then cook for dinner. I mean that's a huge deal, to you know, a society that lives 25 years, you know, and is on the verge of starvation. Well, right? so
1: uh, yeah. Well, I was just saying that this this trope—it's just business. The—I mean, it, I can recognize it in my own life, and I've got to hit a quick break here because we also are a business, and uh, <laughs> in, in particular, one business uh, that has helped me. Well, he's he's one guy with a bigger business. Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. He's uh, been, I'm thinking about laying down roots Sean here in Montgomery. It's a decision I'm going to make over the next year, but I know you just got a house. And uh, Eddie's been kind of walking me through the prepaids, like the appraisal and the inspections and how you can haggle over that. What are good investment opportunities. He even We have some wonderful lakes here in the, we call it the River Region area, and he does pontoon boat tours. So you don't have to go up all sorts of windy roads. You're just one property. You can go to a pontoon boat, check out several lakeside properties in a day. Um, Eddie Bader is wow. a great guy, man. Um, and he likes, you know, have a good slice of pizza. And uh, so, folks, if you're interested in buying or selling your home, don't just put it up as a listing online. That doesn't get you very far. You need somebody showing the true character of your home. Give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a, a call, Three two two zero is the line directly to Eddie. He'll pick it up, say, hey, this is Eddie. What can I do for you? Eddie Bader, three two two zero six six two. We got to hit a quick break, like I said, Sean. And uh, I'm—I mean it. I just discovered this Kamasi Washington is his name uh, yesterday came up, like, sometimes YouTube is good for, like, you know, a random autoplay comes up. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So, it's really good. It's called Street Fighter Moz. It's the music carrying us out today. We'll be right back. More with Sean Malone talking about Hollywood's favorite trope, It's Just Business. You can find that on YouTube right now. And sort of confirm your point, Sean, I want to get into because this has, what is it, 14,000 views, a little over at this point. There was a lot of reaction in the comments and I want to get your take on it, but we'll be right back, folks. Yeah. More with Sean Malone right after this.
0: Joey Clark.
1: Welcome back, folks. Listen to the Joey Clark Radio Hour after I... Well, yesterday, honestly, because of my roommate, I, we have this old arcade controller now, and we hooked up an emulator, and I got playing Pokemon like I was, you know, seven years old again. It was, it was a relaxing day, but it was also like, oh, my God, look at when I saved it. Look how much time I have wasted today. So I'm back in the saddle. I'm gra- glad that I scheduled Sean Malone. Um, that we made it happen tonight, Sean, because, you know, it, when you have a good guest, a good topic, some, sh- some of my shows are like that hero's journey when you go out into the woods searching for an animal and you encounter some strange being and the old man who helps, and I don't know where I'm going. Tonight, I kind of knew what we were getting into. And folks, again, check out the video where you're talking about Hollywood's favorite trope, It's Just Business. Now, many folks reacted to this video. You told me off-air that... even more views on the Book of Faces, as I like to call it, and all sorts of comments. How did the general public react to you saying, hey, business is this amazing thing that actually does make our world work. Let's not vilify or at least conflate it with predatory, terrible behavior.
0: Yeah, uh, like you said, we've got about 226,000 views on Facebook, so a lot of the actions happen there. Um, YouTube is picking up for us, though, but it's never been the, the biggest uh, the biggest platform for feed um, we just have a much bigger bigger audience on Facebook but you know like anything the reaction has been a little bit mixed i've I've gotten some really good comments out of it I and mean, some people are are you know uh, some people said some stuff about how it really got them to think hmm. about these ideas and and that they that they had never really thought about before one guy actually said uh, and I, I can't remember the exact comment now but i I screen capped it and sent it some some folks that I work with, but he said that he'd always thought of himself as being really anti-business. Um, but he started to come around to the idea that that you know maybe that's actually a pretty good thing, and that in fact government might not be as good as he thought it was, <laughs> which uh, which he directly attributed to some of the stuff that that we'd made, including that that video. So there's some good ones in there, but of course there were there were also many many like very bad comments.
1: What are the ones that? Uh, well, are there any absurd ones that just pop out at you? That
0: come oh, on? yeah. I mean, the thing is, like with the, the the absurd ones, tend to just kind of be trolls, right. you know. Uh, you're you're an idiot kind of comments, <laughs> um, and those those don't really phase me too much. I don't spend much time thinking about them. The ones that I'm I'm more fascinated by are, are the ones where people really try to take the time. One thing that, that stands out to me is that people keep talking about studies that show that CEOs are, are uh, psychopaths in a higher percentage than in other careers. There's a, the, this you'll see um, you know reported in the media from time to time. But there's a problem with this though that, that bothers me a little bit, and it's and I responded to some of the comments about that. There, there are only a couple studies uh, out there. Um, Kevin Cutton, I believe, is is one of the, the authors. And gosh, if, if I had thought about it, I would have I would have brought up uh, the the papers on this. But there were there were a couple studies. So there was an Australian study that was the one that most everybody cites when they say that CEOs are, are psychopaths. The the problem with that study though is it didn't actually study CEOs. Mm it studied um, middle management in one particular industry I feel like it was the supply chain industry um, in Australia and they had maybe 300 or so participants and they found that that, you know mid-level executives in that industry were you know had some what you would call psychopathic traits but for psychologists, you gotta keep in mind that these aren't murderers. Like, these are just people who lack a little bit of empathy that other people generally have, right? Right. Um, And so the conclusion of that study was pretty mild. It was basically like, you know, hey, for people in the supply chain industry, management, you might want to think about your recruiting and hiring practices because these people are going to end up in in upper management positions, which was a perfectly fine thing to say, right? Right. Um, But also, by the way, like, there's... um, I gotta, I gotta look this up so I'm, so I'm making sure that I'm not saying it's wrong. Um, there's a book called The Wisdom of Psychopaths um, by, and um, yeah, yeah, I was right, Kevin Dutton, hmm. and, um, and so Kevin Dutton. So this is, this is kind of important too because Kevin Dutton um, is not saying in this book that, and this is a, a really. One of those weird things that people aren't going to understand very well, which is that that like everyone who's a psychopath is evil, which is runs really counter to the way that that phrase sounds mm. and the way the phrase has been used in you know pop culture and media from the fifties on or whatever. Right? You think of psychopath, you think of Psycho, you think of Hitchcock, you think of people American Psycho, right? That's like right. You, think, yeah. you think of you think of murderers. But in reality, again, it's it's for, for most people, there are, there are functioning psychopaths, sociopaths um, all over society, and they're, they're actually not that that different than anybody else. They just, again, they just sort of lack some, some empathy that other people have. Um, and there's some value to this in some ways, right? Like there's some value to those people being in positions where they make decisions that other people really would struggle to make because of, because of being overly emotional about those those feelings, right? Right. But um, but Dutton did research and found that CEOs are um, more likely to be psychopaths. But there's a there's a well there's two caveats to this. One, he also found, as was uh, reported by um, some some folks I know actually recently, that that uh, politicians are even higher. <laughs> On that list, <laughs> in some ways, um, which was kind of amusing. But also, uh, I have a little bit of a qualm with the study itself because the way that he got participants for it was uh, through a, a self selected online survey that came to people through Scientific American magazine. Oh. Which I just feel like is going to really self select into the high income, high education you know, into the the population of society that's more likely to be CEOs, executives, et cetera, you know. And indeed, that's what, if you look at the demographic breakdown of the study, that was true. Like, it was, it skewed very heavily, um, you know, uh, upper income. It skewed very heavily upper levels of education, master's degrees, PhDs. Stuff like that. So I worry a little bit that the study itself didn't even capture a a real, you know, picture of of society as it actually is. So all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and you the know. the uh, clickbait sort of stuff I've seen on this, uh, and I don't have studies or to back it up, but I saw like here are the jobs that are most psychopaths are in. So I'm like, yeah, it's right. fun radio fodder. And I read in, and broadcaster radio host was number three. <laughs> right. So right. you know, right. you know, and I actually kind of get that you need to. You need to be able to, it's kind of the style of American comedy. You need to be above the fray, be able to kind of disassociate and separate yourself a little bit. I try to, you know, turn that inward. But it's, uh, it's interesting to me, though, that these traits, say it's somebody who's psychopathic or a sociopath, or whatever traits there are in society, you know, predation and... Uh, trampling mm-hmm. on other people. This has existed throughout human history. And so, you know, it, whether it's the church or the government, when the church was more in power with the government or government then and now. Uh, That There will always be these sort of predators and psychopaths, and it's, I think, and it's a point I believe I took from Deirdre McCloskey, is maybe there is that guy who all he can think of, especially that like Trader in the pit down on Wall Street, all he can think of is making a buck, making a buck, making a buck. It might be better that he's in a capitalist society that is based on business than based in a feudal order or something else.
0: Well, that ended up being a lot of my replies to a lot of the people uh, commenting on this stuff, which is you, you start, when you really think about comparative systems, and this this is something we're working with economists all the time, has has impacted my thinking tremendously, but when you really start thinking about comparing societies, you need to compare reality to reality, mm. right? Like, you can't compare the reality of your current system, you know, think about a capitalist system or or whatever you want to really call the United States, which is, of course, at this point, super heavily regulated and and very, you know, government-controlled in many ways, um, and something like a socialist system. But what what you have so often is people who compare that reality to, like, a fantasy version, what uh, Mike Munger at at Duke University calls unicorn governance. Mm. You know, um, governance that's just completely fabricated. It, it's pure fantasy. It's, it's the version of socialism or communism or whatever that, that you think you want. Um, I think this describes, um, uh, Alexandria, um, uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Ocasio-
1: Cort- G- yeah. I was about to bring her Cortez, up. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think this is what describes her appeal to a large extent, which is that she's She's looking at and criticizing the system that exists, that people live in, and, and people experience bad things in from time to time, right? Uh, but then she's presenting an alternative that in reality has proven to be much, much, much worse every single time it's, it's been implemented, even even to a limited degree, right. uh, anywhere in the world, you know? And But we're not comparing real to real, we're comparing real... the the fantasy perfect, perfectly executed version, right? Which is why, of course, you you end up hearing from those people like, "Oh, it's not real communism, not real socialism, this stuff, you know, um, we heard that about Venezuela for for years, that Venezuela was a perfect model of how democratic socialism can work, (laughs) and now I'm hearing from everybody I know that it's not real socialism,
1: or it wasn't you know. the socialist's fault. and, and, and uh,
0: Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. And, and I think we both agree, and let's make clear that, and you just mentioned it, what's going on in the United States and worldwide isn't uh, as close to the idea. We don't want to set up our own utopia, but it isn't as close to the idea of free markets and property rights no. and a free society no. as you and I would like. It is, and those are yeah. some of the comments I saw that, well, what about the corporatist guy who's working... With the government mm-hmm. to strong arm competitors. And this is, I think, the disadvantage of, you know, even an 18 minute video is like you can't get into the nuance yeah. of the last hundred years of American economic history. You're talking about a trope right. in movies.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can't touch that in the amount of time. I mean, 18 minutes, this is the longest out of frame episode we've ever done. I, I try to keep them, you know, 12 to 15 minutes at max, you know, and, and we, we blew past that pretty quickly. Uh, But part of this comes back to you know I've been thinking about this for so long, and for a lot of the times that I've been thinking about it, I've envisioned it as more of like a um, a feature, you know, like something that's an hour and a half, two hours long. So it's it's really hard to cram this stuff in there, you know. Um, And I, you know, and it's just me pontificating more than anything. It's not like what, what I would in in some alternate universe or maybe sometime in the future I'd like to. Uh, you know, I'd like to make this into some kind of a, a more broad media study where you get interviews with uh, studio executives and writers and actors and people like Larry Ripstein who actually study the philosophical makeup of, of Hollywood and, and of academia. You know, maybe somebody like Tim Broseclose who spent a lot of time uh, looking at the, the left bias in colleges and universities, right? right. Or even somebody like Jonathan Haidt, who you know, uh, really studies this stuff now and studies the the way that people interact with ideas from their their moral sentiments, right?
1: Yeah, they're like their um, big five personality traits, and before mm-hmm. facts yeah. are presented, what's their temperament? What's uh, you know these sort of uh, yeah?
0: What's your what's your temperament? And and then who goes to Hollywood versus who goes into you know um, like. The steelworking industry, or whatever, right? I mean, and, it's, it's and, different temperaments of people who do this kind of stuff.
1: And it is a weird thing. I actually had a great conversation with, I believe, it was a John Boy, the composer. um yes. th- that I met yeah, at Vicon. Fe- um, friend
0: from from back in the NYU
1: days. Yeah, yeah. He and he and I got talking about how, like, the Hollywood, the business, the industry is a, truly an industry, this huge business, yet there's this veneer of, we must be egalitarian. Almost like they're guilty mm-hmm. or something. Maybe that's... The- yeah,
0: and, uh, well, I got that sense a lot, you know, uh, living in L.A. And, and working in that industry and, and hanging out with, you know, aspiring writers and producers and directors and stuff. There, there's a lot of this sense that, like, business is sort of evil and... and and by the way, to some extent, I get it because, to be honest, you know, you had mentioned like the worst bosses you had were incompetent. Some of the worst bosses I've ever had, had all all, well, I will say, all of the worst bosses I've ever had were in entertainment jobs. Mm. Um, outside of that, I've never had a boss a fraction as bad as the bosses that I had in there. And I'd be talking about people who would throw things at each other, <laughs> shout at employees, like wow, like really aggressive. I had, I had one boss who was a, a decent enough guy but who spent his entire like basically any email communication he had with the entire staff was, this was in 2008 uh, it would it would include some kind of political plea to um, vote for Hillary make sure we registered to vote so we could vote for Hillary Clinton in the 2008 primaries so that we could stick it to the, the GOP the evil GOP people Wow, and and that was and then I went on to work in political jobs or in you know in political news in Washington D.C. and in political sort of politically aligned nonprofits. That never happened. Never. I, I will give a shout out to him. I used to work for Tucker Carlson. Not one time did Tucker Carlson ever tell me who to vote for or who whether or not I should even vote. Like he treated it as none of his business, and yet the the Hollywood people that I worked for treated it as as entirely their business. So I kind of get the the sense that if you worked in that space, you might think that that was how everybody operates, but basically nobody else does
1: yeah, and that's and it's a weird thing we can we only scratch the surface and we're unfortunately Sean out of time. that hour goes fast. Um, sure does man but uh, thank you for being on the show again, folks. check out. Sean Malone at Fee.org. You can go to, again, it's Fee.org slash shows. Check out all their content. And check out this, Hollywood's favorite trope, It's Just Business. Sean, thank you once again for being on.
0: Thank you, Joey. All
1: right, folks, I'll be back tomorrow night. It'll be like one of those Heroes journey shows where I really don't know what we're going to do or where we'll end up, but it'll be fun.